This is Limit Up, a trading podcast presented by the performance coaches at Top Step. We discuss futures, forex, stocks, options, history, trading psychology. Basically, if you can trade it, we'll try our best to make sense of it. Now, on to the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step. Dan and I are just discussing the significant problems we've had drinking water the last couple of days. <laughs> uh, on Coach's Playbook earlier, I kicked over a glass of water on the carpet. Then I couldn't find it. Dan doused himself with a uh, those swanky water bottles we got from uh, Top Step. Dan, do they sell those? All 32 ounces. Like I wasn't paying attention, and I thought there was like a little dribble hit my chin. And I just dumped all 32 ounces right in my lap. I love those water bottles, you know, and I don't like I a whole too. lot of swag stuff, but I just absolutely love it. So maybe we'll get those on the uh, Top Step store at some point because they're nice. They are. So we thought we would do today as we enter our trading psychology um, quarter is that we talk a little bit about where we got the trading itch from and kind of what got us to go into day trading because it takes a slightly different kind of uh, person to get into this industry, right? It's not your usual nine to five. There's a lot of uncertainty that goes along with it. Um, people who like to live on the edge a little bit. So I thought we could do that. And where I got this idea, Dan, and I promised I would read it, is that? Yep, I'm excited. You ready for this? So my mom was cleaning out the house, as people do at that age, and she found a letter. I originally thought it was 2000, but I was mistaking the uh, Gateway 2000. So it's a letter. Apparently, at some point, my uh, grandfather, who lives in Wyoming, and he was always big into stocks, must have given me a couple hundred dollars to go invest in the stock market. And so this is the thank you note that I wrote to him. All right, you ready? I'm ready. Let's hear this. Dear Grandpa, on Monday, we went to see moms and dads, God, terrible grammar, Jack, stockbroker, Mr. I won't say their <laughs> names. This is back when you had to go to a stockbroker. Uh, they said that we should buy three or four stocks in each different category, technology, growth, defensive, communications, etc. Eh, not bad advice. You were talking about Ford Motors, but they said one of the best automobile stocks was Chrysler. In technology, I'm considering Microsoft, Motorola, Compaq, and Gateway 2000. <laughs> In defensive <laughs> stocks, I'm thinking about Kimberly Clark or American Stores, Jewel Osco. For growth of communications, uh, we're talking about the Tribune Co. Man, terrible pick, Jack. Um, right now... The money is in a market fund earning 5% interest a year. That's cool. So I was able, so then at the end it says, uh, I hope you're having fun in Wyoming. We're leaving at 5.45 a.m. to see Aunt Nora in Toronto. We're going to go see a White Sox game in Niagara Falls. How cute. All right. But what's fun is I remember what happened when I was in Toronto. So I know exactly what date this is from because uh, Princess Diana died in that car accident. So this is from 1997. So I went and looked up how my picks did. Mm -hmm. Most of those companies are out of business, right? Yep. Microsoft, I would have made like eh, 17 times the money. But on that same day, Amazon was trading for $2.50 a share. 
And I am coming out today and saying that I am pissed at those so-called professional stockbrokers who went to that did not get me <laughs> into Amazon. That's all. I will say, though, some of the picks you had for 1997 weren't bad. Comcast, that was a good computer company at the time. Dell, uh, from my understanding, there is a gentleman that lives in my town that was one of the original founders of the original Dell. Mm -hmm. Sold out. He got out pretty quickly, from my understanding. Um, but Dell, not a bad buy, especially into the early 2000s when they released their XPX, XPS series. That was a big hit, and they did really well. I mean, we all remember the commercial. Dude, you're getting a Dell. Yeah. Not a bad buy. Yeah. And Microsoft. Microsoft's a good buy. Always. And I think uh, where the segue is into that, it's rare that you get to see the exact moment. That was presumably the first trade that I ever made. That was my introduction to the market. Then, as usual, my introduction to the market. Two years later, the market crashes. I take some time off. In college, I get the itch again, and I think I've told this story on here before where I, uh, the closest, I've never blown out account, an account before, but the closest I ever came was uh, doing some tomfoolery during the financial crisis, buying a little company called Bear Stearns. <sighs> so you might be thinking, so why did I, Jack, given that terrible track record of investing and picking stocks, decide to get into trading? And I think it's because... I like the action of it. I like the excitement. And when you're doing it, it's one of the most exhilarating jobs on earth. You know, you go in there, it, it, we make all these sports metaphors because it's kind of a similar industry in that you got to be on your performance each day and be in the moment and compete against the best in the world every time you do it. So uh, before I go too much further into, you know, my early career, Dan, you have a little more straightforward way you got into the industry. Yeah, you know, and I want to kind of circle back to the very beginning. The entrance into this for everyone is totally different. You know, you think about it today. Most kids are getting into their jobs out of college. There's recruiters that are coming to a campus. They're going to job fairs. And very rarely, if ever, are there trading firms there looking to pick up, you know, a senior in college and say, hey, why don't you come trade with us? I don't think you get into it that way. Most people don't. There's some sort of connection. There's some sort of a desire or you have an education that you never planned on being a trader, but there are certain things that they look for these days. You know, they're looking for people that know how to do coding. They're looking for people that understand stats, so statisticians, things like that, that really bring them into this environment these days. For me, it was, I grew up in this and I've told the story before, you know, my dad left. The day after I was born, I had to run into the floor because the markets broke. And it was my entire life revolved around this idea of markets. You know, my dad was a professional trader. He owned a prop firm. He had a lot of traders working for him. You know, my first things that I would say all the time as a kid were I'd, every time the phone would ring, I'd stick my hand up to my ear and go, this is Dan Hodgman, what are bonds? You know, that was my, what I knew of this. And as I grew up, I ran around on the floor from as a little kid, it was the coolest thing was running between the legs of like locals and brokers trying to pick cards up or go snag a couple bucks from a broker that's looking to, you know, make my dad happy because he filled a lot of orders for them. And, um, but for me, it was really kind of boils down when I was about 12 years old. I'm not sure what brought on the conversation. 
Um, but basically I said to my dad and my mom, I was like, I don't want to be like dad. I don't want a desk job, which at the time I thought my dad worked at a desk because he had a desk in his office and he came into me about a week later. It must've sat with him, came into me a week later. He goes, you know, I don't sit at a desk, right? I don't have that kind of job. I'm like, yeah, you do. You have a desk. I, I know your desk. I've been into your office before. And he goes, that's where I hang my coat when I come in after I park and I drink my coffee in the morning as I get ready to go down to the floor. He goes, I'm screaming and yelling and jumping up and down and having a ball all day. And it started to sink in as I got a little bit older. And for me, it really, the itch became that first trade I, I put on that wasn't mine. I was told to do something. I got to experience just the way the options market worked and, you know, how many different ways there are to make slash lose money because you can lose on everything you do too. It's not all about making money. And I just found it so intriguing that there were these ways of making money. And uh, so, you know, that's when I kind of started. Yeah, it's very, um, I've been thinking about this a lot lately where with a lot of jobs out there, it's hard to know what they actually entail until you get involved, right? Um. Both of my parents come from what I would call professional backgrounds, right? Where you, so my dad's a doctor, my mom's a lawyer, where very classic they, uh, Chicago they, suburbs right there. I know they breed them, they breed them out in River Forest, and then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but because they had specific careers, it's if you, you know, if you don't have someone that's showing you what it's like to have a job that's not those. You know, I would see people whose parents were entrepreneurs or something, but I had no idea what that entailed. Like, really, I didn't know what that entailed until I started working at Top Step, really. And it was the same thing with trading, where I actually did do it through the traditional, you know, college recruiting route. But, but the day I started, I still just had no idea what it would mean to actually trade. And then all of a sudden, like, that's your job, so you better like it. But... I always figured because, so Dan, I know you played a lot of sports. Yep. Did you go, were you seeking action in sort of other, did you like play poker or do sports betting? We'll say legal sports betting. Not really. I never, I like to have control over what I was doing. Um, I'm pretty competitive. You know, I played football, hockey, lacrosse, boxing, martial arts. I played hockey and lacrosse in college. You know, that was, as a little kid, my dream was to be an NHL player. Um, mm -hmm. but I never really got into the gambling cause I just was, didn't have enough of a control to this day. I don't do a whole lot of gambling. I might throw a hundred bucks on something with some buddies, but I, I like to have my hands in the control. And that's where I think mm -hmm. the big difference of betting to trading comes in is you have that ultimate control to say enough's enough or, Hey, you know what? I, I like this, but I don't like it enough. And you can get out in the middle of that bet, so to speak. There's two ways it can go with traders as far as other forms of action. Either they're so, and this sounds kind of what you're like, um, they kind of live and die by their strategy and finding an edge. So gambling's not super appealing to them because why would I gamble when I have an edge somewhere else, right? Exactly. It's very rare you're going to have an edge that way. The other direction it can go is just people that, compulsively crave action so they're trading big they're betting big they're doing all sorts of stuff on the side like that 
And that's an impulse you really have to be careful about because I'm, I'm sure both of us, I mean, we, we worked at different places, but I'm sure we've both seen people that that sort of vice is their downfall, right? Yeah. And not to say like, I haven't done things like that. You know, I've done pool squares for football games. I've, you know, things like that, that were are pretty prevalent in the trading world, you know, a hundred bucks here, 200 bucks there, 50 bucks there, never anything that like, you know, last week we talked about going on tilt or maybe it was the week before um, that I could go on tilt and in the gambling world, you know, I, I when I do gamble I can easily go on tilt mm-hmm. because, you know, I can pull more money out. I can do something like that. Where in the trading world is I, I know my controls. I know, I know where my emotions are clicking in, where in gambling to me, it's all an emotion. I think I got something good here. You know, I think I might have a great hand, but the guy next to me, I don't know what they have. And you know, we're competing against each other. We're in trading. We're not necessarily competing against each other. We can all make money doing the same thing. Yeah, and I think that that's um, sort of what kept me in trading too. Is I know we've both had a lot of mentors, and I was just thinking because I've I've been reaching out to people to try and get you know we have some guests coming up on the show that I think are going to be super interesting, including one that I'm very excited about that's in the works, and we'll see if that happens. But it was making me think about the people that I learned trading from. And I think, too, I wouldn't have necessarily, because it wasn't a family thing for me, I don't know if I would have stuck around had it not been for the group that I ended up with, where it was you know, a bunch of folks that really cared about me and my development. They weren't, you can get into some of these firms where things can get kind of exploitative, right, in the way that it's a little almost pyramid scheme-esque where people are taking cuts out of each person below them and stuff like that and trying to churn out money that way. Um, but I was lucky enough really to have two um, mentors right when I started, the guys that led my group, uh, their names were uh, Nellie and Jay. And I think having them around, and I get this impression from like your dad and the other people at the company, is that's what made me learn to actually kind of love the process and then that's once I had that accountability framework that's when I started to find success I would 100% agree I think having those people it's such a small industry when you start to look at the people around you that you know you know you can you can get a job anywhere if you're in a marketing department or a sales department you've got friends that do marketing and sales and you can have those conversations about what you do at work even though you're working for two totally different companies in the trading world, if someone's not a trader, they don't really understand, you know, very often, and I'm sure you've gotten this, I'm sure every one of our listeners have heard from their friends saying something like, hey, I know you're into the markets, what do you think about this stock? Well, I don't really have a huge opinion on, you know, one particular stock, unless it's something I'm active in. And chances are, if it's a stock that I'm active in, it's not a popularly talked about stock. So like where my thoughts are when it comes to that stuff. And so you don't have those people to talk to. But if you have the mentors, the people you can look at and say, hey, I've got questions. You know, I'm struggling with this. And most of it is psychological. It's emotional. Those things you go through, they've been through that. You know, for me, I was so fortunate to this day. I mean, I think every single day, just about I have a phone call or I talk to my dad or I see my dad and just say, hey, this is kind of what I did today. What do you think? Or Hey, this is what the markets are doing. It was kind of weird. Can what are what's your thoughts around it? You know, like having my dad there. I, I've had another mentor, Greg Baird, on here on the podcast. I think at the tail end of last year, he was on. He was another mentor, and I still talk to him and I ask him questions. You know, he does things a little bit differently. I've got 
three uncles that were in this industry um, that were all down there that to this day, when I'm around them or if I have questions, you know, I reach out to them as well and just say, hey, you know, Matt, Timmy, Brian, you know, what were you going, what are your thoughts right now? You know, what interest rates with what they're, what's going on with them and the yields. They were around this for combined a hundred years between my dad and his three brothers. You know, they were in it for a long time, probably even longer than that. And they all have seen something that I haven't seen. And so when I see different things, I can ask them their questions. You know, my vision on this is much smaller than theirs and having those people to talk to and get their input or for them to be like, Hey, stay away. You know, I've lost doing something like this. You, you can start to learn and kind of create more of an appreciation for what we're doing every day. Yeah. So as we talked about the itch, it's pretty much self-selected that, I mean, if you decide it's not a common thing, as much as you hear in the news and stuff about how many people are trading and stuff like that, it's not uh, an overwhelmingly popular pastime, I would say. And if you're someone that got into it, it probably means that you have that mindset for it. But it's ultimately a career that's built on longevity and how you can stick around. That's why we're talking about uh, the mentors, because there's going to be, you know, and it's not as bad as one reason, you know, real talk here. One reason, for instance, that I didn't uh, kind of follow in my dad's footsteps. I mean, what he does is incredible. So he's mm-hmm. a, a head and neck cancer surgeon, right? Um, when... I have a bad day, I lose some money. When he has a bad day, you know, one of the patients dies, right? Right. And that wasn't something that, especially when I was younger, that I felt like I was prepared to do. I didn't know if I had the the stomach for it. But that's not to say, though, you know, the doctor is one thing. But in trading, you're going to have some real rough days, right? And we talk a lot about controlling them and what you can do uh you know we were talking about this is why we stress so much the social trading aspect and we have been talking about that the last couple weeks it's i really kind of implore anyone out there who doesn't have sort of like a safety net for trading to go out and you know ask some questions to people see if you can find someone that can be you know your accountability partner it doesn't have to be an official coaching program or anything else just something so you're not just doing it completely solitary because that's where a lot of a lot of trouble can come down the pipe. There's so many emotions involved in this and just to have someone there, you know, really makes a huge difference because, you know, obviously the bad days are different than, you know, what your dad went through, right? Totally a mm-hmm. different scenario. But there are days where, you know, you might be having that bad week or that bad month and you you struggle emotionally, mentally to try and see the the light at the end of the tunnel or the outlet there and just to have that person to kind of hey it's okay we're gonna get through this the markets you know they're gonna recover we're gonna get into a better spot you're you're gonna find that edge again and i think because that's something with trading we constantly have to do find our own edge you know i've had a lot of people over the years since they've been at top step kind of ask me that question of like how do i find my edge that's nothing someone can teach you right there you can't be taught an edge an edge is so many different things. There's so many different ways to look at it. You know, for me, my edge is I have such a strong faith in the strategies that I execute 
mm-hmm. that that to me is an edge. I know for a fact and and having that confidence in the strategies allows me to maintain a discipline when I'm trading. And that's kind of an edge for me is because I have such this faith that if today's not a prosperous day, if it's not working from the start, I don't mind stopping because I'm not concerned that my strategy sucks. I'm just thinking, hey, this market condition isn't conducive with what I like to do. Therefore, I'm going to stop trading today and not put myself at risk. Maybe I miss an opportunity or two, but that's fine to miss a chance because you're you're just not firing on all cylinders is totally okay. Don't put yourself in a situation that you're going to start to question things. You know, when it's not working, stop. Wait for the day to end. Look back and ask yourself, well, why didn't my system work? Why didn't my strategy work? And build that confidence in your trading. And when you have that confidence in your trading, it makes your makes it more fun. You know, a lot of people hate range bound days. I've grown to love them over the last five or six years because it to me, it's like taking candy from a baby. You know, I define my range. I can fade my extremes. And if a market's directional, I found ways to adjust how I'm looking at it so I can continue to trade the exact same way because I have such a confidence in the strategy. When there's these big breakouts that don't match my strategy, it's like, hey, you know what? I missed that breakout. Didn't see it coming. I want to stop right now until I get back into a new range that I can define. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm a, I'm a total... Uh believer in fade city that, that was pretty much like what my whole career was built on <laughs> I, I i used to be a big breakout guy i love to catch the breakouts um i still do but i definitely you know the more mature i get the more i recognize another you know a 500 per contract day is still a pretty damn good day i don't need those you know 1500 two thousand dollar three thousand dollar contract moves right i they're not as prevalent they're not as realistic and I like to trade as realistic as possible. Yeah, that's good. I kind of like what you said too is, you know, obviously you can't learn an edge because that's just a truism, right? If there's if if I were to print out something online that literally worked and it was a step-by-step instruction, that edge would get uh removed very quickly. Absolutely. I think what you got to do is you stay interested in trading and going into it. What you're trying to do is find a framework that can help you find the edge with whatever you're like we talked about playing to your strengths is you're trying to build a strategy that will put you in the, every trade is going to be different that's what that's why you can't teach an edge right all the easy you know 20 years ago when you could buy the cash bond in one market and sell it for a few ticks different and other like that's not there anymore right right like one of the biggest edges people had for a very long time was arbing the pit right when we started mm-hmm. introducing screens and you had you had the ability to trade and essentially it's two different markets trading the same product in, in in a way of putting it right you have a screen trade and then you have a pit trade and you can hear what's going on in the pit you can be standing right next to it or even in it and an order comes in and the market upticks or downticks a little bit. All of a sudden, you get filled on that order, and you can quickly arbitrate against the tr- against the screen. Like that was a form of scalping, where that's not really possible these days. We know it's not. You can't compete at the speed of these markets, but you could do that, and that was something a lot of traders did. I've done it multiple times myself, and then that edge is taken away, and you're constantly having to adjust, and you're constantly having to tweak and change, and that to me is what you know this industry is kept the itch alive 
is that yeah. constant adjustment. I love changing things up. I love trying new things. Yeah. What's the old saying? It's the, the your easiest year of trading will always be your first, right? Right. doesn't matter what year you started. Everyone talks about how great the trade was in whatever year they started because the key is you got to be adaptable, got to be willing to change. And that goes into if you ever lose the itch. I mean, what's the longest time you've ever taken off trading? That's a great question. Obviously, like when I was in the Marine Corps, I wasn't very active. You know, I was still trading. That was a little over four years, but I still had my accounts. I was still trading at least once a week unless I was, you know, deployed or out on the ships or something. I didn't have internet. And then when I left the firms and came over to Top Step, um, I've kind of talked about that big loss we had at the firm. I took about six months off. I was actually planning on taking a, a six-month sabbatical and just leaving the country and traveling for six months. And then Top Step kind of popped up and I was like, well, let's let's go over there. So I took about six months off completely from there. Was completely flat. I still had my accounts open, but I wasn't. I wasn't really doing anything. I just kind of watched it happen and tried to regain that desire to take on the risk. Yeah, yeah. I think for a while I went through. So so for me, it'd be a longer break. I think I went through a good two years at least where I just did, didn't trade at all after I... It, it was one of those things where I allowed myself really to reach that burnout zone where I was just kind of... I, I, I legitimately just... I hated hated trading by because i i found myself in a inopportune situation that maybe we'll go into down the line especially if i can get somebody who was around the same time there but um you're gonna make yourself miserable doing that and i'm very like now i'm actually back into it and i like it again because i'm doing it's more of it's been four or five years now since i've been a professional full-time trader right Mm -hmm. And likely, I, I don't think I have the burning desire to ever do that again, just because as you know, you start forming a family and stuff like that. For me, it's a little bit, it gets me in the wrong mindset of, you know, like we talked about in Coach's Playbook today, even if you have that itch, it, when you have that month, you lose money or something. When you go bust your ass and you're working, you know, 60 hour weeks, so that's what, like 240 hours in a month and you lost money. Like that's just Sucks. a devastating thing. Like some people can handle it. It was not necessarily something I was great at. You know, for me, it took me a while to get into it. I, I think I got my first account at 17 and I was doing here. I was doing there. I was fine. I wasn't making a ton. I wasn't losing a ton. I was just, you know, being more active in the market. And gosh, I was probably 18 or 19 and... I was working on the floor and my uh I was running PLs every day at the end of the day. And mm -hmm. so basically the way it worked is obviously we were position traders. I just want to explain to people we were position traders, but you still ran a PL at the end of every day based on your position, how much money you made or lost for that trading day. And it was not a, a finite number, you know, dollars and cents. This is exactly where I stand, right? You're still carrying positions, but you could run your PL based off of settlements. And so part of my job was every day, you know, after the pit closed, I'd sit there and wait for settlements to post up on the board anywhere from like 220 to 230 and they'd post. And then, you know, I'd run all of our theoreticals based off of, you know, what prices we traded and our position. And it was a pretty slow day. Um, and there's an auction that came out at about one o'clock 
And up to that point, that was the craziest trading day or craziest 45 minutes of my trading life. Um, probably did a few thousand contracts, um, probably more than that in a matter of 45 minutes. And then it stopped about 1.45. Markets were still open, but it all just stopped. And so we ran around like chickens with our head cut off, as my dad always says, for 45 minutes. I ran the PLs at the end of the day. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, man, this was kind of a fun day. We sat around and BS'd till one o'clock from, you know, 7.20 open. Had a great lunch. I had a Rick and Benny's breaded steak sandwich. And uh, gotta love them. If you're ever in Chicago, make sure you go down to the South Side and get a Rick and Benny steak sandwich. It's uh, the most well-known, unknown Chicago sandwich. Everyone comes for the beef, go for the breaded steak. And we ran P&Ls and I'll never forget how much money we made in 45 minutes and looking at that now you know it was just unreal to think how quickly that can be done in such an efficient manner and that for me is what trading kind of is all about it's not about grinding 60 hours a week it's waiting for your opportunity when the when the iron's hot you strike it that's what keeps it coming back i mean i i it'll be the same thing for us with uh we weren't as active around the auctions but like for unemployment friday i mean if everyone because usually if um usually if it went well everyone went well that day and there was nothing better it'd be done you'd be flat it'd be 745 you'd be set for the week you know go take a walk, have lunch. That was our thing too. It was like, you weren't sick on unemployment. Didn't matter how messed up you were. If you had COVID-19 and you were on a ventilator, you, I mean, not to belittle the situation, but like that sick is about the only way you were getting out of an unemployment number. You came to work. It didn't matter. You traded that 730 number and Usually on Employment Fridays, we got breakfast pizzas from Pat's by, even off the floor in the office, breakfast pizza from Pat's by, they open up at nine, they were delivered by 9.30, we're crushing pizza, and then we're out to happy hour by 10.30 in the morning. Yeah, and that's also, so that is the good, you know, I talked with the negative stuff a lot, but that was the part that kept me in the job to that point, because that's why the trading rooms and the virtual ones, I'm sure they, they serve their purchase, but just... Being in a room when there's that like countdown and the markets start thinning out and you just know like we're going to make a lot of money or we're going to lose a lot of money in the next minute, right? Right. You see all the chairs get kicked out into the middle of the room. Everybody's starting to stand at their desk. They're waiting for the number to release. They're on their Bloomberg terminal because that's the fastest way to get the number. And you can just like my palms are getting, I'm sitting here, my palms are getting sweaty just thinking about those days. Yeah, then there'd be this guy next to me that just kept on going, no whammies, no whammies, no whammies, no whammies, big money, no whammies. <laughs> well, and that's the best part was like unemployment days. And I want to be clear, you know, there's a lot of things you talk about at Top Step, not being in positions during those big economic releases and not and trying to not trade around them. Jack and I were not trading an outright futures position in, around those numbers. We had spreads on, we were hedged, we were covering ourselves. And when that happens, when the numbers get released, volatility spikes. And when volatility spikes, that creates bigger spreads for us to be trading. 
creates an opportunity. And that's where money gets created for, you know, when you are trading those large positions. God, that was, those were the days. I remember one time, I was probably 25 or 26, and I had a wedding for one of my best friends from the Marine Corps um, out in Virginia. And it was uh, one of the groomsmen, and everything was going on Friday. And so Thursday night, all the guys were kind of just doing like a little bachelor party out in Virginia. And it was in Virginia Beach where I used to live. And like a month ahead, I said to my, you know, I, I said to my dad, I was like, hey, I'm thinking about taking this Friday off. And he goes, oh, really? I go, yeah, I was telling him, I was like, it's, you know, Brendan from the Marine Corps getting married. I really, I want to be there for the bachelor party. He's one of my best friends. And he was like, that's fine. I'm like, really? You don't, you don't mind? And he goes, no, I don't mind. Just don't show up on Monday. <laughs> I go, what? He goes, it's unemployment. You're, you're not skipping an unemployment. I don't you, care yeah. what it you is. Will, you will join the ranks of the unemployed for the next release. <laughs> yep. But, um, yeah, cool. Well, it was actually super fun, like, talking through. You kind of, like, through that reminded me why I liked trading <laughs> again. Well, and that's it. Like, I think you have to. I think we all have those. And everyone's had a low point in trading when they're just about to say, I quit. Or, you know what? I'm over this. If you can go back to those times when it was so much fun, mm -hmm. it makes it enjoyable. It does. Well, this is good lead into. So, Dan, next week we'll have our first of. I think we do a two part episode, but um, Jared Tendler, who uh, has an upcoming book being published called "The Mental Game of Trading," was so kind as to agree to meet with us. And I, I've been reading through the book. You know, it's the first time I feel like. Uh, uh, not a big shot, like a medium-sized shot. It was kind of cool that we we have a uh, copy of a book that hasn't been published yet. <laughs> I felt the same way. I feel when like I'm sent Oprah. <laughs> so, um, we'll be flipping through that. We really look forward to talking with Jared. And I think that's all we have for today, Dan. Um, any announcements as far as Top Step? We'll have Market Media winners by the time this goes out. We get that next Wednesday. Um. Join our YouTube channel at 3 p.m. We'll be live with uh, the founder Q&A, Michael Patak. And I'll be sitting down, taking questions and talking about stuff that's happening. Yeah, don't miss that. That'll be fun. Again, yeah, because we have some, you know, we have some upcoming announcements for Top Step that you will find interesting. So I'll leave that as the teaser for then. It's Thursday, so uh, party responsibly, everyone, at least until everyone gets vaccinated. And uh, namaste and trade well. Limit Up is presented by Top Step and produced by Dante32. Futures and Forex trading contains substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.